Hello and welcome to the Holistic Healing Project with me, Dr. Lauren MacDonald. Each week I will be sitting down with a range of experts, thought leaders and other inspiring humans to explore how we can all bring more healing into our lives. I believe we all have the capacity to self-heal, to experience more joy, greater meaning and deeper connection. I really hope these conversations inspire and support you on your own journey back to wholeness. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. I really hope you're enjoying all of the conversations so far. This week, I'm chatting with Dr. Tara Swart, a neuroscientist, leadership coach, former psychiatrist, TEDx speaker, and author of the brilliant book, The Source. In our conversation, we explore Tara's own healing journey from burnt out NHS psychiatrist to executive coach, author, and speaker. Tara describes how rock bottom really became the catalyst for her reinvention, transformation, and growth. And she describes the practices and tools that we can all use to switch from autopilot to a more conscious way of being. She explains the science behind the law of attraction and the role of journaling, visualization and action boards in helping us to manifest the life of our dreams. Importantly, she also describes how growth, healing and fulfilling our potential is very much a journey and not a final destination. I really hope you enjoy our conversation and as always, if you do, please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review and maybe share the episode with a friend or family member who you think it might help. Hi Tara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for finding me and I'm intrigued to hear a bit about how you found the book or found out about me. So I have actually, so I read the book recently because I chose it as um, the book for my book club. I have an online group membership and the theme of last month was mind. And then within that, the specific kind of topic that we were discussing was self-awareness. And I can't exactly remember how I came across your book, but the minute I saw it, I just thought this is exactly what I'm looking for, you know, because I gave the people in my group uh, mindfulness meditation and, you know, it was a lot of kind of practices, but there was not really any science backing it all up. And I've got a few doctors in the group as well. And I just thought for the skeptics, I really need to back this up. And I was just blown away by the, your book. I think it is just so needed. And yeah, just congratulations on it because it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. It sounds like you were meant to find it. So it obviously winged its way to you. Yeah, the feedback was they are loving the science because there's been books like The Secret Out for years. And we talked about manifesting and the law of attraction. And yet for a lot of people, they, they're put off by it. So to have the science backing it up, it really motivates people to actually go ahead and do these practices that you explain why they're so powerful and why you can really not only heal your brain pathways, but really heal your life and co-create this amazing life. So I wanted to dive into the source and, you know, this incredible book that you've written. And for anyone who hasn't read it and hasn't heard about it, what does the source mean to you? Well, you've already mentioned, I was going to use the word intersection, but I don't really like that word, the kind of melding or mingling of spirituality and science. And so the source has obvious spiritual connotations, which as, you know, a medical doctor and a neuroscientist, I was a bit concerned about, you know, what people's first impression of what was in the book would be from the title. But, you know, I love it. I'm so glad we went with it. 
But the sort of other side of the coin is that the source is your brain firing on all cylinders. So it's the full potential of your brain power. But I love the fact that it speaks to both something greater than that, something we can't explain, something spiritual, plus the fact that we all have these amazing brains that they're so much more malleable than we ever knew before. And chances are that we're relying on the things that we like doing and that we find easier. And that's fine, absolutely, to play to your strengths. But there's so much more there that we can draw on. And and the analogy that I use is if I asked you to build a low brick wall outside your house, think about, you know, think about your front garden, how long would it take you to build a wall that's say five bricks high? If you asked four or five friends to come and help you, how much quicker and easier it would be. It's That's the way to think about using pathways in your brain that you don't naturally tend to use. Yeah, just so you can really feel your potential in all areas of your life, whether it's health, love, success, and mm. um, just bring it all together. No, definitely. And you mentioned that really the first step in tapping into this source is self-awareness and mm bringing your unconscious thoughts into your conscious. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I always think with coaching and with medicine and you know everything that, that I've spent some time dealing with, that being aware of what the issue is is 50% of the battle. So you know the things that you have to do after you've got that awareness are not as hard work as actually realising, okay, this is what I have to do. And you know, classic examples of people who have heart attacks but don't want to take their medication, you know, really getting to the bottom of why that is. And whether it's something as serious as that or something just more that you want to work on, it's the fact that we have these neural pathways that are laid down from childhood and possibly even before. And so the longer certain belief patterns have been there, the more blinkered your perspective is about those things. And so absolutely for the reasons of efficiency and being able to live a normal life, some of our sort of habits and behavior patterns are done on autopilot and we don't really think about them. And then there are, you know, other things that we, that are more in the the surface or the working memory that we tend to be a bit more conscious of. But what, a bit like an iceberg, what's really driving a lot of our behavior is those things that we believe deep down that we're not that conscious of. And so doing as much sort of psychological, emotional, spiritual work as possible to raise from non-conscious to conscious, what might be holding you back, what might be what's known as a competing commitment. So, you know, with the classic heart attack example, people know that they need to take blood pressure medication or or cholesterol reducing medication, but they don't want to take it because it makes them feel old. It reminds them of their mortality. It makes them feel like they remember their parents or grandparents being like that, and they don't like that association for themselves. So if you can uncover the real reason that you're not doing the things that you know you should be doing, that is just so helpful. Yeah, do you know, there was definitely a few light bulb moments for me reading your book. And one of them was my limiting beliefs around imposter syndrome, isn't it? When, you know, I was starting this podcast around the time that I was reading your book Mm. and I'd noticed these little thoughts that were coming up and they are my limiting beliefs and it's only really by becoming aware of them that then you can question them and say is this really true otherwise you know I just wouldn't have probably started the podcast um so it is it is bringing it into your consciousness so that you can start addressing them and um another thing I found really interesting was the you talk about the abundance mindset versus the lack Mm. mindset Mm. would you mind just talking a little bit more about that Yeah. So again, not so much to do with personal wiring, but to do with like how we've survived in evolution. We're two to 2.5 times 
the, the psychological effect is stronger to avoid loss than it is to get a reward. So, you know, basically, we don't want bad things to happen to us more than we care about whether really good things happen. And that totally made sense when we were wandering around on the savannah and there were, you know, predators around. It kind of makes sense in some more sort of social and psychological ways now, but it doesn't make total sense anymore. But we're still very much driven by that underlying survival mechanism, you know, stay safe, don't do things that put you at risk. And so what we need to do is to embrace what I call healthy risk. And to do that, we, again, need to raise awareness of the fact that we're more likely to stop ourselves from taking that first step or that leap forward because of fear of the unknown. So anything new is a huge challenge to the brain. So you have to cultivate this abundant mindset so that you're more likely to take that first step, do something creative, do something that maybe appears to you to involve a bit of risk. And that's where I think your tribe is so important because it's just that one level of separation from you sitting there thinking, if I do this podcast, you know, this bad thing could happen to your sister or your boyfriend or somebody saying, well, actually, you know, what really is the worst that could happen? But if you do it and it turns out to be really good, how amazing would that be? So it's, it's moving your focus from what could go wrong to what could go really right. And is that just that fear is the way that we start to rewire our brains? That's when the things like journaling and affirmations come in. Is that right? To support the, the strength of those new neural pathways? Yeah, absolutely. And from the sort of science point of view, that that makes sense. But what I really loved is that when I did my research, there's a very strong, basic Buddhist philosophy that says replace any negative thought immediately with a positive thought. Now, that sounds great in theory, but it's not that easy to do in practice. So what I did was I made a list of either like compliments that people had given me or things that I felt I'd achieved so that if I started to think, you know, this isn't working, this this is too hard, I don't think I should do this, I could go to that list and sort of remember some positive things. And that just helped to move the blood flow in my brain away from that negative lack pathway to the more abundant thinking. And then eventually, I took it a bit deeper. And I thought, what are the same old things that keep coming up in my mind that I think I can't do, or I think I'm not good at? And I created specific affirmations that were the opposite statement of that deep underlying belief that was stopping me from doing certain things. And, you know, at first I just repeated them very often. And then I got myself to the point where if I had a negative thought in that department, I could just use the affirmation in, you know, in the moment to try to overcome it. And what's the science that's actually going on behind that? When we talk about this rewiring, what's actually going on? So in neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the adult brain to change itself and keep changing itself. And, you know, the fact is that if you're not mindful of that, then everything that you experience, every person you meet, every emotion, every memory, every smell, it's molding and shaping your brain to some extent in real time. If you take more agency over, you know, do you spend time with that person who is an old friend, but somehow they always manage to say something that puts you down. You know, if you say, actually, I'm not going to keep doing that because that really builds up this negative self-esteem that I have. That's one way of managing, you know, the environment around your brain. But another one is to overwrite these old, unhelpful thought patterns with the, the ones that you desire to have instead, the ones that will help you to move forward. And a good analogy is, is language learning. So you know, let's say you, you grew up speaking English and you learned French at school. 
But then after GCSE, you didn't learn it anymore and you, you know, occasionally use it on, on holiday. Then that ability to speak French is still in your brain. Like you could brush up your French quite easily because you have learned it before, particularly in childhood. So you can't really unwire French from your brain. But if you started learning Spanish instead and you went to classes every week and you knew that there was a test at the end of six months and you went on holiday to a Spanish-speaking country, then you would overwrite the map in the brain for French with Spanish because you're using it more. And so it's similar with, with lack thinking and abundant thinking. The more you practice abundant thinking, you eventually will make that the default pathway in your brain rather than the you know, long-held belief patterns. But you know, I make that sound really great and quite easy to do. But remember, a lot of these patterns have been there for 20, 30 years. So it, it's going to take that patience that you mentioned before to get to the point where that's actually your natural way of thinking. It's still a conscious effort for quite a long time. And I think that's where where I am now because what came up when I was reading your book was I I'm aware that I used to be a really abundant thinker and I was you know you describe in the book the person who always gets the free tickets to festivals or you know mm. I was magnetic in that way and a lot of good things happened to me and I I think I thought very abundantly and then post illness you know I had scan after scan that was negative every time I went I had bad news and that happened for years. And something must have happened. I'm just kind of speaking out loud, wondering if this is the case, but that that almost started to rewire my brain differently to just become more fearful and have this lack mindset. And I noticed that, you know, I, I am a bit more negative now and I will start to go to worst case scenario, um, which is completely new for me. I didn't used to think like that. So as you said, it's going to now be this process of and journaling and the affirmations and but it is really this repetition isn't it you have to keep doing it and keep doing it you can't just yeah. do it for a few weeks and hope that you'd be back to where you were no I mean the nice thing for you is that you you say that you were naturally you were an abundant thinker and then it's totally understandable that if you have repeated bad health news that eventually you go into survival mode I mean that's totally understandable but you know that's been recently and for a few years of your life so you've you've got a better chance of overturning that because you know that your what you were like before was abundant. I mean, a lot of people that message me on Instagram, for example, have started off with a lack mindset and been like that, you know, till their twenties or their thirties, and now they're working on changing it. And and even that's possible. And I've had so many like beautiful stories of people turning that around. So I feel happy for you to know that it's um, you know, in the three times of types of neuroplasticity that I talk about, you're not starting from scratch. You're trying to just re, you're trying to relearn your French, basically. Okay, that's good news. Okay, and and what are the key tools that you direct clients towards when they're coming with you, wanting to become more abundant thinkers? The first thing is journaling because that's the raising awareness piece. So then, you know, you basically see in your own handwriting the sorts of thought patterns that are coming up again and again. And when I talk about journaling, I've actually realized in my own practice that reading back over it is actually much more enlightening than just writing it. So what I often do, because I, I had a strong foundational practice, but now my journaling is a bit more sporadic. So sometimes something will happen and I'll think, oh, you know, I should write that in my journal. Um, or I should remember that, you know, the last time I thought abundantly, things worked out better than when I didn't. But then in a busy life, you forget that. So if you haven't recorded it, you forget it. If you record it every single time, when you look back, you sort of think, oh, wow, six times where I thought abundantly, things actually worked out well. So this works, you know, and that 
feeling that it works, like I described that feeling of growing that resilience toolkit inside me, that is so empowering. Once you think, hey, when I think abundantly, things actually work out, then you want to do it more. And then you notice more that it's working. And that's just a really self-fulfilling prophecy. And do things like gratitude lists come into journaling? They, they do. So what I started off doing in my journal was just 10 things I'm grateful for. Um, there's a lot, uh, I, you know, I believe now from reading around that you should go a bit deeper than that. So you should maybe try to write five sentences about why you're grateful for one thing. So you get the breadth as well as the depth. Then what I realized was that the th- things I was grateful for, for quite a long time when I was doing this listing, were very external friends, family, travel. And one of my friends got me onto writing more about things that were intrinsic to me that I was grateful for, like my creativity, my vulnerability, my resilience. And that was a big game changer for me. So starting to really acknowledge and write down and read over the things that I have that I can turn to in a crisis that can't be taken away from me. I mean, you know, all of those external things can be taken away from you, but your own resilience your appreciation of your vulnerability, that's much harder to take away. I mean, I fully understand that, you know, a serious illness, I suppose, specifically from our point of view, a mental illness can rob you of that belief that you have those things in you. But cultivating that is is a real game changer. Even if you, you know, lose your superpower for a while, you will believe that you can get it back because you've cultivated the belief that I can grow those abilities in me. Like they may ebb and flow, but I can get them back. And it's the key to self-empowerment. And you talk in the book a lot about how it's not just, you can't just write it out or think about it, but you actually want to bring it into the body and really feel it with all the senses. So I mean, I guess that takes us more into the starting to kind of co-create your life. But why is it so important to really feel it in the body? Well, it's about, you know, you speak about physical, mental, emotional and spiritual. And I speak about the alignment of those. And a lot of people speak about sort of head, heart and gut. But whichever way you speak about it, if there is an authenticity in all those areas, you know that and you have a nagging doubt. And then it's just not fully aligned. You know how I said the source is your brain firing on all cylinders. If it's deep down obvious to you that there's one cylinder that's not firing, that eats up your brain power. So, you know, the doubt, the negativity, the lack, that drains your brain power much more than the positive thing. So if we just keep it very basic on a two thing axis, the brain and body need to be aligned. If you're telling yourself, I'm confident, I'm independent, I'm going to do this, but it doesn't sit right somehow in your intuition or your your body, it's going to be much harder for you to achieve because it's like you're swimming upstream you need to be swimming with the flow it needs to feel that easy for you to know that it's right so you know both when people visualize things I ask them to you know imagine it coming true and be sure that they can see it happening in the future and if there's any doubts or fog around that then I always try to get to the bottom of is there a reason that you don't really think that this is right for you or that it could happen? Using your five senses is a really nice way to try to integrate that into your body. So when you have a desire, it's sort of like, you know, can you see it or can you create a vision board to really make that look real for you? Can you smell it? Can you taste it? Can you use a soundtrack to like boost your motivation? Can you use aromatherapy to create that smell of success that, for example, you could use a rollerball with certain essential oils And you could keep that with you in your bag throughout the day so that if you have any doubts when you're doing your positive affirmation, 
you anchor it with a smell as well as the thought and the vision. So the five senses is the way to really get into the body if you feel that you're not in full alignment with your goals and dreams. So the action board is really where the the intention to change change your life really comes to fruition. Is that mm. correct? Yeah, I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I haven't read the book, but, you know, what should I do that will change my life really like quicker? And I say if there's one thing that you do, whether you finish the book or not, it's the action board. And it's very important, you know, I referred to vision boards earlier because people are more familiar with that, but it's important from the, the science compelling action point of view that it's called an action board because it's not about just creating a sort of a fantasy collage of your dreams and, and sitting at home waiting for it to come true. It's very much about creating that vision, looking at it every day and visualizing it coming true and doing something every day to move towards it coming true, no matter how small, but taking on that agency, not feeling like a sort of you know helpless passenger in life, but feeling very much like you're in the driving seat. So can you just put anything you want on this action board? Is there anything particularly you recommend people kind of searching for? What I tend to do and what I've heard, you know, back from all this, these lovely messages on Instagram is that it tends to fall under sort of home, love, travel, health and fitness, fertility or business, as in either being in a job that you don't love and wanting to do your own thing or within the job or career that you have, developing that to its highest potential. And so I tend to say, you know, put the things that are most important to you in, in the center or at the top. How you actually lay it out on the board is important. Like if you fill up the board and there's no space left on it, then you're also not just asking for the things on it, but you're asking for a very full and busy life. If you leave space between different things, then that might mean that there's a bit of room for magic or just that you have some downtime whether you have those things in different sections or they're touching, you know, I also think makes a difference. I do encourage people not to use words just because that appeals more to the logical part of the brain than the subconscious, which is what we're really trying to prime here to grasp opportunities that you might otherwise have just not noticed because you're busy and because the brain filters out things that aren't most relevant to our survival and our thriving. I love in the book that you you really, we mentioned it, this is this brain-body connection. Mm. You really bring in the science that supports the brain-body connection. And one area you talk about is gut health, which I thought was really interesting to suddenly come into a book all about our brains and our minds. Can you talk a little bit about why gut health is so important when self-healing and helping co-create your, your dream life? Yes, it's really interesting because you know, but when you finish writing a book, there's a bit of a, a pregnant pause till it comes out. And you know, I've been writing it for over a year. So there's quite a delay between the time that you're writing certain chapters and the way that research moves forward or, you know, what the zeitgeist is in the world. And so I distinctly remember coming to that section and thinking I was going to write one chapter on gut health because it's just so basic to all of our health and our immunity and our resilience and a, a separate chapter right next to it on intuition or gut instinct. And then I played with the idea of putting them in the same chapter. And I thought that it was a really big risk to do that. But by the time the book came out, I sort of thought, thank goodness I put them together because it's so obvious that they should be together now. But it didn't seem that obvious when I first started writing. So basically, we've known for a long time that there's a big neural connection between the gut and the brain. But more recently, we've uncovered some research on what's called psychobiotics, which is 
the interaction of the gut microbiome with the gut neurons and directly with the brain through cytokine transmission, which is, you know, chemical messages that get sent through the blood. So it's not just this um, two-way neural connection. It's actually a triangular connection where the gut bacteria are separately signaling to the gut and the brain. And Gut bacteria, you know, we've learned a lot more about the necessity for the quality and diversity of gut bacteria. Recently, we've understood the consequences of stress, of alcohol, of antibiotic overuse and, you know, processed farming on our gut bacteria. And, you know, most people will have heard of taking probiotics when you travel. But there's just so much exciting research in that area, for example, that shows if you take a good quality broad spectrum probiotic for a month that it reduces negative thinking, anxiety, and has even in some studies helped people to reduce or come off their dose of antidepressant medication. If you want to look into that further, there are certain strains that are particularly good for mental health, which I've blogged about, but they they weren't in the book, so I didn't know about it then. And so I've taken all of that and then said, because we can't remember everything we've experienced in life, it's that sort of wisdom and life lessons that we've stored deeper in the, you know, neural cells in our bodies. And that suddenly it becomes clear that if you're not in good health, if you're getting bloated, if you're having constipation, problems with digestion or reflux, then it makes sense that actually your intuition will become cloudy too, because those two things are they're coming from the same place. And if we're doing all this work on our brain power, on journaling, on honing our intuition, but we're not looking after our health and specifically our gut health at the same time, again, it's like swimming upstream. So it's so important to integrate that physical health with the mental, emotional and spiritual work that we're trying to do. Um, Again, there's a quote from the Buddha that says something like, it's our responsibility to keep our body clean because otherwise we can't keep our mind clean. To see you talking about it in the book, you look at everything through a scientific lens, but it is bringing that body, mind, spirit all into alignment to optimize your life and really heal your life. So we've talked through quite a few different tools that people can use to, first of all, become more self-aware. So there are things like meditation, mindfulness, journaling, and then it feels like the second step is almost the rewiring, or does it all kind of blend into one a little bit? Is it all happening at the same time? I think it feels like that because there's a lot of psychological work that goes on in the background, and then you get to this sort of tipping point with your neurons where you've got this you know new way of being that's that correlates physically in your brain with with the psychological work. But I definitely put a lot of thought into creating a process as you go through the book. So the last four chapters are all practical, you know, they're they're meditations, visualizations, the action board, some quite challenging exercises about barriers to your success or things that might be holding you back. But right from the beginning, I talk about setting an intention, about starting your journaling practice. And there are a few small exercises scattered throughout the, the major sort of theoretical part of the book, things like ghosts from your family. So, you know, those roles, boundaries, secrets and values that have made you who you are, you know, that might be because they've been there for so long that you're not aware of them. And they're definitely managing your perspective without you being aware of them. And then there's one that I wanted to specifically mention, which is the people tree. On the surface, it looks like an exercise where, you know, you draw a tree with five branches that you put the names of the five people that you spend the most time with adults. And then you write five words to describe each person. And in one way, you could look at it and say, you know, here's somebody that I I love their abundance. I I should spend more time with them and aspire to like learn how they think. 
And, you know, here's someone that we seem to have got the balance quite right. And then maybe you notice, you know, that person that sometimes puts you down or takes advantage of you. And you might think, maybe I need to behave differently with them or manage my time with them. But it's actually a much deeper exercise than that. And I know that you're particularly interested in self-awareness. It's about looking at those 25 words until you can accept that all of those 25 words, good and bad, are actually about you. And, you know, I've had people bursting into tears when they've done this exercise, which on the surface can look like a very transactional exercise. But if you read that part of the book, it's much deeper than that. So, you know, there is a lot of research about social contagion that says we're the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. And there are studies that show, you know, if your friends are obese, you're more likely to become obese. If your friends get divorced, then there's a higher chance in the next year that you'll get divorced. And it's not because that's catching. It's because if you already had problems in your relationship and you see someone get divorced and move forward positively, then you kind of believe that that's possible for you as well. So I think it's really interesting to do that exercise once maybe in the more transactional way and then to repeat it and go deeper. So a little bit, like I said, with gratitude lists to like write down 10 things I'm grateful for, but then pick one or two and write five sentences about why you're grateful for them. So that what we're doing is we're creating patterns across our brain and deeper down into the brain and the body. It is really a a book about, it's a self-inquiry, isn't it? It's a process of really peeling back the layers and finding out a bit more about yourself and what you need to maybe work on or change. And yeah, it's it's just a powerful process. One thing I did want to ask you about was staying motivated because obviously there's all of these tools at our disposal and most people now know they've heard about journaling and meditation mindfulness practices and yet you know we are all busy people but we probably have 10 or 15 minutes a day that we could find time to do these practices and yet we don't why is that and how how can we become more motivated to to really change our lives and just sit down and and do the work Yeah, I mean, human nature is that a big negative motivator like your health or my divorce and career change spurs you into action. Um, But what we're trying both trying to achieve here is to to get people to take some action, you know, without needing such a strong negative motivator. I have to say, I also personally experienced just, you know, in the few months before I got married again, um, I've never had so much motivation for exercising and dieting in a certain way than I did during those few months. But again, you rarely have such a big positive motivator to to do certain things either. So it does rely on your intrinsic motivation. And that's, again, where I think the science really comes in, because it promises that we can be so much more than what we think we can or and you know that we are. And that's really exciting. I mean, this this research from neuroplasticity, which actually is, you know, 20 plus years old now, but the sophisticated scanning techniques have just shown us, you know, how much malleability there is in the brain. And so for all those people who, you know, would like to live for a really long time or wish they were young again, I was never one of those people, but neuroplasticity is the one thing that makes me think I wish I'd known this when I was 18. And so I really do believe that we can always be better. I believe in micro changes. Once a year, I'll do something like learn a new language or learn the tango. But, you know, not even every year. Mostly I focus on two or three small things I can change every quarter. You know, I don't do these big New Year's resolutions anymore. I pick two or three small things 
And then I really congratulate myself when they've become a habit. And then I just move on to another two or three. And I, I keep, I've kept building up like that. That has been the easiest and best way to keep motivated because you keep seeing these quick wins, not quick, but small wins. And you sort of realize, well, if I keep doing this every quarter for the rest of my life, I'll build in a lot of new and different things. And of course, some of those things, if they're lifestyle behaviors, they actually give you global benefits in the brain because they contribute to your executive functions, which are the higher functions of the brain, like mastering your emotions, thinking flexibly, thinking creatively. So, you know, even if it's things like go to sleep half an hour earlier, drink one extra glass of water per day, do 12 minutes of meditation most days of the week. You know, if you start with things like that, next you can say, okay, I'll go to yoga more times a week or I'll spend more time with somebody that, you know, does lots of abundant thinking and helps me to change my perspective. So people say to me, make it seem effortless. It's not effortless at all. It's really hard work. But those are the little tricks I found to to make it seem more effortless. Do you, just being nosy here, do you have a morning routine, anything that you do first thing? I do, but it's it's sort of, I mean, I like rituals. And so I've got into yeah, a little a little habit. And I, t- I tweak it from time to time. But basically, I take a probiotic that every morning that you can't even drink water for 10 minutes after that. So I go downstairs, I take that from the fridge. And then I do my sort of affirmation for the day. So not really a full meditation, but, you know, a positive affirmation. Then I think through my day, I, you know, reflect a little bit on the previous day. I might, you know, if I have time, I might have a bath with some aromatherapy oils. I might do like some, a very like quick bit of exercise with weights. And then my biggest ritual in the morning is actually making my cup of tea. I just love my cup of English breakfast tea so much. And, you know, that's actually a tweak that I've made because my whole life, well, adult life, English breakfast tea, the ritual with which I make it was really important to me. But I've moved myself over to having matcha green tea five times a week. So I still have the English breakfast at the weekends because of the massive antioxidant benefits of doing that. And I've got myself to the point where I actually enjoy that as much as having, you know, a cup of builder's tea. So it sounds like a really small thing, but it was a very long standing habit. And I've, I've managed to tweak it a little bit. So more than that, I don't, I don't have anything too strict. I mean, I always say, we all know what we're supposed to be doing, try to do those things as much as possible. But don't stress about it too much, because it's the stress that will kill you in the end. I think we can make we can make all this self-development um quite rigid and serious but actually it's it's just a journey where we're, it's a lot it's a lifelong journey there's not going to be an end point is there so if we can make the journey as enjoyable as possible that can only be a good thing and there are different times you know depending on your bandwidth where you might choose to learn a new language or you know or you might choose to do intermittent fasting those are things to do when you've got bandwidth they're not things to do when you're under stress but so the last time i had a really strong routine and ritual was in the 3 month countdown to my us book launch you know that i treated like a boot camp for 3 months um so i had a, a very you know different and much more regimented re- routine at that time but you know once that was done and i went through all the stress and travel of the culmination of that i've i've let myself not have a strict routine when you say when you say strict routine, do you mean in terms of your self care and your meditation, or, or what do you mean by your strict routine? Yeah, so when I was when I was having a stricter routine, I was um, taking a lot of supplements in the morning. I was doing a lot more exercise. I was much more careful about what I ate. 
Um, my sleep was a priority over anything social or, or <laughs> to be honest, even family. Uh, nothing could interfere with it for that three months kind of thing. And, it, you know, it made a massive difference to how my body dealt with jet lag. It was grueling what I had to do. But, you know, I wonder like how I would have coped with it if I hadn't done what I'd done for the preparation. But like I said, as soon as that was over, I let it go. And I just, I listened to my body. I did what was natural. You know, as you know, given where we're located, it's not like we were really speaking that early in the morning for me today, but I'm still in my pajamas because I can today. And that's, that's okay. (laughs) And that's because you've (laughs) created this wonderful life. So yeah, good for you, Tara. Um, So just finally, to kind of wrap things up, I was just wondering if there's anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to share any tips, any wisdom? I don't think so. I think we've been on a really lovely little journey that, you know, totally made sense in terms of raising self-awareness, which is so fundamental to this whole process. I'll just say again that, um, well, including you and your book club and all your your listeners, um, that, you know, making an action board doesn't have to be January. It can be Chinese New Year. It can be your birthday. It can be no milestone day. Doing that is life-changing. And I've I've actually been encouraged by how many people have done it and then written to me on Instagram. So I really want you to do it. And I really want to hold you accountable to it. I'll send you a picture. I'll get everyone everyone in our group to send you their picture as well. Okay, brilliant. And just finally, I ask all of my guests, what does holistic healing mean to you? Holistic healing means being aligned in your body, in your thoughts, in your emotions and your spirit. And the first step towards holistic healing is really understanding what those four things feel like or look like. And there is actually a little exercise in the book on on those quadrants. But like you said, personal inquiry is the way. And and people will come to that in, in many different ways, as I did, as you did. So I just think you know when it feels right, but you've got to be able to listen to your body. And as doctors, we've been trained to do that, but it's not necessarily natural for everyone. So I think that really that going into your body, that biofeedback um, is is a really, really good place to start. And you can do that through meditation, yoga, this growing field of embodied cognition and embodied leadership. Yeah, it's just you as a whole. Whole person. That's so great. Thank you so much, Tara. Actually, I was just going to say one thing that I think is really important for humans and human brains, which is we're not an island. We're part of a community. We're part of a tribe. It's Our sense of belonging is so important to us that I think tapping into that is a really important thing to mention as well. Yeah. And something that, you know, and the idea of community healing and thriving in communities is definitely being talked about more now. But for a long time, we've just been on out on our own, haven't we, really? Or in yeah. our small family units without really looking at the bigger picture. And like you said earlier, we are the the sum of the five people that we spend the most time with. Um, So it's really important to have these people supporting us and loving us and just, yeah, kind of motivating us to keep going and keep growing and just becoming our fullest, most alive versions of ourselves. Yeah. So thank you for bringing me into your community. And oh, thank um, you so much. Honestly, we have loved your book and I really recommend anyone who is listening who hasn't come across the, the source yet that they go out and buy it but not only buy it but actually take the time to go through the process and make the action board we we would love Tara and I would both love to see your action boards and yeah just just enjoy the process as well of growth and fulfilling your potential yeah thank you so much Lauren thank you Tara it has been a joy
Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.